We often talk about the problem of pain, but very rarely do we talk about the problem of pleasure. What happens to a society when it has been exposed to unbridled prosperity? Well, we'll look at that and then maybe even try to provide some answers as we dig into some headlines today. We'll look at Star Wars and how Obi-Wan, which was supposed to be a big deal, is turning out to be a total flop and is being panned by almost everybody who watches it. And then we'll also look at Russiagate. We used to hear a lot about it when it first came out, but now as the House of Cards is tumbling down and we're starting to see that Russiagate was all just one huge lie, we're not hearing very much about it. And I'll try to tell you why we're not hearing much about it. And then we'll also look at the Evaldi shooting in Texas at Robb Elementary School. It just seems that we were totally misinformed about what actually took place that day. And we'll hear from a mother who went into this school and came back to tell about it. And she reveals some startling information. And then finally, we'll close out the show in our final segment, Christianity not today, by looking at a recent Charisma magazine article on Andy Stanley, the megachurch pastor in Atlanta. You'll want to stick around and hear what they have to say about him. We'll talk about all that and more today on Indie Thinker. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to watch the show today. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Sharing is caring. And on the show, as we do every show, we're going to try to bridge the gap between faith and reason by showing things that are going on in our world and trying to give you some at least food for thought or an explanation that you won't typically hear out in the mainstream. But I think we need to think about these issues, and the more we can do that, the better off we can we can make our world. So uh, by the way, with that being said, uh, we've only been at this about a year and a half, but we are just a short uh, couple hundred subscribers away from a thousand subscribers on the show, which means uh, on our YouTube channel, forgive me, that which means we can finally monetize the channel up at that point in time. So I wanna ha ask a big favor of you guys. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. And uh, if, you, if you share this content with others, please encourage other people that you know to subscribe. Again, we're probably only about 120 or so uh, subscribers away from 1,000, and that's a big deal to us, and that will help us create more, better, greater content for each and every one of you guys. So, so help us reach that benchmark, if you will. And then also, too, want to make sure that you know this, that if you go to our website, indiethinker.org, you can sign up for our newsletter, where we dig in deeper into some of the stories that we cover on our weekly show, and then also maybe elaborate on those, but also share other stories that, uh, that, that I'm not able to speak about in the show, but I think deserve your attention. So uh, if, you're, if you're informed at all by this show, if you like what you hear, then please do us a huge favor and go over to andythinker.org and you can take your next step with us by signing up for our newsletter. And then we also want to make sure that you know that we've got a live show coming up. Every summer we do a live show with a live studio audience where you can uh, where we can do live Q&A. Now, we'll have some surprises as to who the guest is and what's gonna happen during that show that we'll unveil um, as, as kind of we get closer to that. But in July, we're gonna have a great live show to be able to share with each and every one of you guys. So I, I, I can't wait to give more details about that. But suffice to say, if you live in the Chattanooga area, we're going to be doing that downtown. I'll put some information down below in the description of this podcast so that you can see more about that. But if you do live in the Chattanooga area, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, now, we've got a great show for you today. Um, and in fact, uh, the way I wanted to set up the show is like this. Yesterday, I was watching a um, a TV show with my son and an advertisement for Oregon Trail popped up and immediately nostalgia hit. For those of you who are around my age, just I'm a 
I'm a cusper. I'm right on the cusp of Gen X and and being a millennial. Uh, but uh, but it but it brought me back to those days where I would sit in front of a DOS computer uh, and see those little green pixels and try to uh, wade over the the banks of the Tennessee River or whatever I, I can't remember oh, Ohio River um, and then also where I would be able to shoot squirrels and bears oh my and all sorts of things and the joy that that game brought me and then I was reminded about the uh, the fact that my son is living in a totally different age so it's been this like circle of life thing. Um, already that where I'm kind of like in the position of my father my and and this is with TV with my dad because my dad didn't grow up with video games so my dad was listening to TV when he was a kid and then as I was a kid I got to uh, wake up early in the morning and do Saturday morning cartoons and be hosted to all sorts of amazing graphics and all these things that must have just blown my father's mind now it happens sequentially so it doesn't blow our mind too much but but it just makes me wonder about uh, about the age in which we are living and the prosperity that we are accustomed to. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that, but before I do, though, I want to make sure that you know that this show is sponsored by our friends over at the Element Funding Kevin Blair team. So Element Funding is a great mortgage company that can help you with all of your mortgage needs. And the Kevin Blair team is probably the best among them. But of course, I'm a little bit partial because they do sponsor the show. But I just have to ask you this. Not only do you need to secure your family's future, but don't you want to help out the companies that care about the things that you care about and that support great content and share your values rather than to give your money away to people that hate you and don't share your values? Now, listen, I know you can't always do that, but when you can do that, isn't it awesome? I call it boycotting, which means you don't boycott everything, but you can spend money in the way that it supports what you truly believe in to show that you're not actually just whistling Dixie, but that you actually believe in it. So I encourage you to do that with Element Funding. So if you have any mortgage needs whatsoever, go over to kevinblairteam.com and they will help you get pre-approved for a home loan. And when you do so, make sure to let them know that IndieThinker sent you. All right, so it was clear, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, prosperity and technology along with it has made Oregon Trail better, right? I, I remember the graphics of old and then the graphics that they showed when I was watching that uh, commercial with my son and, and I've seen how things changed and it's kind of mind blowing. But the real question is not, has it made things better? The question is, is has it made us better? I, I keep on asking this question as it relates to my kids because they, I also mentioned this with my dad, that I was hosted on Saturday morning to Saturday morning cartoons, and that doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, now it's been replaced with, with many, many other things to the point where, like, my son gets bored with video games that I would have been amazed by um, ge a generation ago, and he gets bored with them so, so quickly. Um, now, I, I try to do a good job of making sure that my kids really don't play that much, that many video games, but it's undeniable that we're living in an age where technology is increasing, where prosperity is increasing, and we're given access to more things than we ever have before in our life. And the question is, as technology grows, how is it affecting us? How is it impacting us, right? And so this goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show. So we have a problem with pain, right? Especially if you're a Christian, right? You're, you're constantly asked, uh, or at least uh, frequently, if God exists, 
and if God is loving, and if God knows everything, then how could he allow this to happen? Why would God ever let anybody like a Hitler come onto the scene? Why not just, just never allow him to exist? You know, so this is the problem of pain. It's called theodicy, right? How, how come bad things happen to good people? And I know Christians haven't always been the best about answering those kind of questions, but there is a deeper question that I want, that I want to return back to those of you who are Christians and not, because we have a big, you know, a big question in, in pain. But, but we also forget about pleasure. Like, from whence does real good pleasure come from? From moral pleasure. And, and how do we handle pleasure so that it doesn't become illicit? And, and all of these questions keep us wondering and, and hopefully keep us interested in, in asking the question. But suffice to say, I think what we're experiencing is, as always, pain is a problem, but, but more and more pleasure is becoming a problem. And here's what I have to say about that. We're living in an age right now of unbridled prosperity, but yet the people in the West, especially in the American West, keep on asking about all the, all the, the trials and the difficulties that they have to experience. Now, the, I understand, pain is pain and it's difficult and I sympathize with anybody that has to go through it. But I also think we need to take a step back. When we start calling paying back our student loan debt pain, uh, and when we start saying that like, hey, you know, the government needs to give us X, Y, and Z to alleviate our pain. Like, do you guys know that in the third world, they don't really have these questions about pain as, as much uh, because they haven't been given so many great blessings. So I think it's funny that as we continue to shift further and further away from Christianity in the West, and we continue to shift further and further away from an appreciation for what America has brought to the world, we're continuing to point out the pain that we're experiencing while experiencing the greatest amount of pleasure that any generation has ever experienced in their whole life. So the question is this, is, is, is what is, is the repercussions of unbridled prosperity? Well, I'll give you at least one example that I can think of. Perhaps taking away so many of the problems that past generations have had has put us in the position of trying to create problems that don't actually exist, right? Because we all, we all wonder, like, how can God exist and problems exist? But, but here's the thing that I think I would ask you to think about. Problems actually create purpose because they give us things to solve. We are so prosperous right now in America that we are creating problems to solve because we can't find real problems to get behind. That's why we're trying to, in my opinion, exaggerate how prolific racism is. And, and we're using all sorts of tactics to do that. There's no doubt that racism exists, but is it as, as common as some people would want to suggest? The biggest example I can give you is, is, quite frankly, transgenderism. Now, I know this may be a little bit a little bit controversial, but I'm gonna to try to justify the claim. I believe that transgenderism ultimately, um, and at least the, the sex reassignment medical side, uh, big pharma side, if you will, of transgenderism is really, is really nothing more than a creation of a problem. So we say this, I was born in the wrong body and I have to alleviate that problem. And, and so people go through the, the surgical procedures that are entirely experimental, that is basically full body plastic surgery, especially if you're, you're a girl and you're transitioning to a man, and all of that probably because we are living in such a prosperous time that we, are, we need to create 
We need to create problems. We need to create things that never existed in generations past. Now, you may disagree with that, but, but the, the reality is this, is that we cannot continue to create problems without asking the question about repercussions in the utopia that we're desiring and that we're trying to seek after to create more and more and more prosperity, are we eventually going to create more problems than what we had? I guess at the end of the day, here's what I'm saying, is that are we so prosperous that we're needing to create our own drama, needing to create our own pain. Suffice to say, I think pleasure carries with it a whole bunch of problems. And uh, perhaps this is what Neil Postman was alluding to in his remarkable book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in his book, he compares George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. And there's this quote that, that I think is so important for us to think about when we think about prosperity and what do we do with it and pleasure. He said this, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book, for there would be no one who wanted to read one. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would give us so much that we would be reduced to passivity and egoism. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us. Huxley feared the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared we would become a trivial culture, preoccupied with some equivalent of the feelies, the orgy-porgy and the centrifugal bumble puppy. Now, I don't know what any of that means, suffice to say, but he's just simply trying to paint the picture that we've replaced uh, so many of the things that matter most with feeling good. That's what he's saying. As Huxley remarked in Brave New World Revisited, the civil libertarians and rationalists who are ever on the alert to oppose tyranny failed to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. In 1984, Huxley added, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are in controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, Orwell feared that what we hate will ruin us. Huxley feared that what we love will ruin us. So it's up to you to decide which one really is the more tyrannical of the two, pain or pleasure. Maybe we would say both, but I think it serves us well to ask, what is pleasure doing to our society? Is it, is it causing us to become desirous of distractions, to create drama, to make things that don't exist seem bigger than they are in the first place. There's all that and more that we need to ask, but I'm gonna to try to answer some of those questions as we dig into our headlines today. So there's a term that's used in drama today, and it's a term that refers to a thousands-year-old tradition back in uh, kind of Greek mythology plays that would take place, dramas and comedies, and it's called deus ex machina. Now, the deus means God, ex is a prefix meaning out of, and machina, maybe you can guess, means machine. So it's literally translated God of the machine or God out of the machine. And so here's the idea, is that back in the day, 
the, when these plays were taking place and maybe the writer didn't know how to solve a problem or maybe it was just easier than coming up with something creative, they would just say, all right, let's write in one of the, the gods, one of the gods in our pantheon to come and swoop down and save us. And so they constructed this kind of crane-like machine that would hoist in an actor that would come in and be Poseidon or Zeus or whatever. And they would come in and whenever there was a conflict, they would just come in and immediately resolve the conflict with their godlike powers. So in other words, rather than be creative or thoughtful, just insert a trope wherever you can and, and do the easy thing rather than the thoughtful thing. Well, that's what Disney and most Hollywood is all about these days. I want to take you into an article by Inside the Magic that's kind of reviewing what's going on with the new series, Obi-Wan. And according to the headlines, it says, never should have been replaced. Star Wars fans slam terrible Kenobi change. Now, I wanna dig into the article a little bit more just beyond the headline because I don't care about the Inquisitor change. And I think there's a little bit of overwroughtness with saying, hey, this is not true to canon um, or true enough to the comics if you're doing a Marvel movie, true enough to the original Star Wars or any of that stuff or true enough to the cartoon series. I, I didn't watch any of that stuff. So I guess I understand if like maybe you don't, you, you don't like it as much because you really appreciated that stuff. But suffice to say, I'm more interested in acting and story and, and whether or not those things are really intact. So the article actually will dig into that a little bit more. So let's go into the body of it a little bit and I'll, and I'll show you that. More backlash embroiled following the premiere of Obi-Wan Kenobi and the actor can't catch a break from Moses Ingram receiving reportedly racist attacks on social media to even Hayden Christensen's Darth Vader being slammed, the replacement of Harry Potter alum Jason Isaac as the Grand Inquisitor is the last straw for every Star Wars fan. By the way, before I dig into kind of the what I just read to you, I wanna just say this about Stranger Things. The same thing is happening in Stranger Things for me, and it's just like, it's, this is happening more and more and more. I've tried to get into the new season of Stranger Things, but it is so insipid and so bad that it's, it pales in comparison to what it was when it first began. Season one, season two were great. It had drama, it had intrigue, uh, it, was, it was new, and they were doing new things, but now they've just resorted to tropes and trying to create drama just because somebody's a sexual minority instead of actually creating compelling characters. Uh, so the same thing I, I think is happening here with, uh, with what's going on with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because as I read in, in the article, there, there has been supposed racist attacks against one of the actors, Moses Ingram, who plays the third sister, the, some kind of inquisitor kind of person. I don't know the story, but needless to say, she came out the other day, did an Instagram video where she was talking about all of the hate that she's received. And then she went as far as to call some of that hate racist. And then that was followed up by a, uh, a car video, a selfie video done also by Ewan McGregor, who is the lead star playing Obi-Wan Kenobi in the new series. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because I think it serves a much, much broader picture here. What seems to be really happening is that I'm not positive that Moses Ingram received racist attacks. Now, she could have, and let me just say again, racism does exist and wherever it exists, it should be eradicated and destroyed because it is evil. But what I think may be happening, so just go with me on this, is I think there may be a shallow character that's not really well written that Disney just said, well, let's exchange good depth and good acting for 
minority status, right? Again, representation is great, but it doesn't take the place of good characters. And, and you can't just rely upon identity and sexual orientation and minority status to replace a script that's really well written. And from all accounts, critics are saying that it's clumsily written and clumsily acted. And the woman just so happens to be black. And so a lot of what is coming her way, she could be potentially interpreting as racist in its intent rather than just a critique of her acting. By the way, this happens to all actors. It happens to everybody in the public eye. Everybody has to withstand the scrutiny of an audience if you're going to be in the public eye. And regardless of your minority status, it's going to come. You can't blackmail people into liking what you do just simply because of your minority status or anything else. Or even if you don't have minority status, you can't blackmail people into liking something even if you're a high profile actor just because. I think this is continuing to happen as content gets worse and worse and worse. And instead of uplifting universal principles and universal truths, we're uplifting identity, which is nowhere near as compelling. And I just think fans are starting to rebel. Get that? Yeah. Rebellion. Anyway, so here's, here's a couple of things that I want to draw away from this. Representation is great, but it's insulting to treat people as though they can't see beyond color that they have to have somebody that's the same color as them or they cannot see past that and can't relate to that. Well, they can relate to universal truths and profound truths if you write that into a script. And then the other thing is this, is I think we have to be careful. Don't believe every claim to victim status that, that you find uh, because they may not always be true. And then the last thing I would say about this is, is guys, for the love of God, for, for everything holy, please, don't lower your standards just because it's the only thing out there, just because it uses a name like Star Wars. Don't lower your standards, turn it off. Because I promise you, Disney and other companies that can and is capable of producing good content will respond if you stop watching. But perhaps maybe more than not doing something, I would encourage you to do something. I would encourage you to start investing in good content and start helping other people create good content by supporting those people. And yes, that's a plea for support here at IndieThinker because one of the things that we're trying to do is create great content here. But another thing that I will be doing in the future is I will be creating films and documentaries through our production company here that I hope will entertain and inspire audiences and help us return to actually highlighting universal truths. I've got uh, right now in the works a Pilgrim's Progress television series that I think will be absolutely phenomenal. So think Lord of the Rings, uh, but, uh, but with the meaning and the power behind so much of what is written into Pilgrim's Progress. And I've got so much more that is in very, very early stages of development, but we need support in order to move into those things. So suffice to say, if, if nothing else, if you've been benefited whatsoever on this channel by the things that we've done here at IndieThinker, then I wanna, I wanna encourage you to go to our website and send support our way and help us continue to grow so that we can impact a generation with content that truly matters because that's what we're gonna have to do. Perhaps our prosperity has gotten to us so much that we've lowered our standard to, to for what good actually is and we don't have to work for it anymore. But but if we return to storytelling that really, really matters, perhaps we can up the game and, and you know, a, a rising tide raises all ships. So 
um, hopefully, as we start to raise our standards, turn off things that, that don't work and aren't good, no matter how good they've been in the past, uh, if we'll start to do that, perhaps we can, we can rise the sea level of, of all of the content that we're seeing right now, and we can start to return to really good stuff. But speaking of the breakdown of media and instead of rising tides or rising sea levels, we got sinking sea levels. We, we need to take a look at Russiagate and its present state. So in 2016, Donald Trump became the president, sending the left screaming. <laughs> And then what followed after that, if you'll remember, was a nonstop, relentless attempt to tr take Trump out. And the biggest attempt was this Russiagate conspiracy. So the culmination of, of all of the less attempts to try to get rid of Trump was, was found in Russiagate. So I wanna show you really quick a super take of kind of some of the, the storylines that we heard about Trump and Russiagate and how big of a deal it was to the mainstream media. An explosive story linking the Trump Organization to a Russian bank. Alpha Bank. The most direct link between Donald Trump and Moscow. The Russian bank. Alpha Bank. The key to unlocking Trump's ties to Russia. The Russian bank. Accused of colluding with the Trump campaign. Confirms our worst fears about Trump. I mean, what more evidence do you need? Folks, I'm an expert. It's very, very obvious. Alpha Bank pinging the Trump Organization server. Implicit allegations of collusion with the Trump campaign. Since the news media became unhinged by Russiagate, we have learned some pretty startling revelations that, uh, that show us what really was behind Russiagate. And so what was behind Russiagate was two things, a political party, the Democrats, and the media working in collusion together to make Russiagate seem as though it was something that it definitely wasn't. So it all started with the false allegation that there was a server inside of Trump Towers that was communicating with a server over at in Russia uh, called Alpha Bank. And so here's a video that will kind of show you the talking points that surrounded this AlphaGate, um, this Alpha Bank server and, and Trump Towers. Try to make sure anything you put out into the public arena is accurate. <laughs> Hillary approved planting a false Russia story. On Halloween, October 31st, 2016, just before the presidential election, Franklin Four published Was a Trump server communicating with Russia? It's a mysterious piece. Trump connected to Russia. Was there a connection between a Russian bank and the Trump campaign? A connection between a Russian bank and the Trump campaign? I'm worried about all the little dots that I see out there. Alpha Bank. It looks quite disturbing. Dots. Dots. These connections. These connections. You know, what was being transmitted? That could be a missing link in terms of figuring out how involved the Trump campaign was. In the Russian effort to interfere in the election. This is really important. Some sort of odd computer server connection. The Alpha Bank. The Trump Tower. Suspicious web traffic. Dots that are being connected by Special Prosecutor Mueller. And if we stop chipping away at it, we're not going to get to the big answer. It's not true. Uh, <laughs> when it came time for Robert Mueller's report, uh, the Mueller report didn't mention the Alpha Bank thing at all. I said Alpha Gate because it's like Watergate, but it's, but it's a different kind of gate. But anyway, um, so since... All of this has taken place. We've learned, like I said, some pretty startling revelations. So I want to take you to Matt Taibbi, who is probably the best uh, person covering this right now. I want to show you a little Substack article that he wrote about what is the latest with Russiagate and how this conspiracy completely fell apart. Last week in the trial, a former Clinton campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, prosecutor Andrew D. Filippi asked, 
ex-campaign manager Robbie Mook about the decision to share with a reporter a bogus story about Donald Trump and Russia's Alpha Bank. Mook answered by giving up his one-time boss. I discussed it with Hillary. He said, describing his pitch to the candidate, hey, you know, we have this and we want to share it with the reporter. And she agreed to that. So based upon that simple accusation and that conversation between Hillary Clinton and her lawyer, Michael Sussman, they leaked some information that was absolutely fake to the media about the Alpha Bank server communicating with a server at Trump Towers. This was totally fake, as we saw in, in the super take that I just showed you. But from that, then, got the FBI involved, and the FBI now began to disseminate a, a fake steel dossier with information that was totally fake. Did I say it was fake? Because it was fake. And then from that point, so you've so let's trace it back real quick. So you've got this fake story leaked by the Hillary campaign, which then got the FBI involved, which then got the FBI investigating a private citizen at the time, Donald Trump, and his campaign, and then got the FBI to disseminate a fake steel dossier, and then got the media, so this is the third step, got the media on board to collude with Hillary Clinton and the Democrats in order to try to float a Russian conspiracy about Donald Trump having ties to Russians and getting money from the Russians. All of it was a lie. And so there's a couple of questions that emerge from all of this, and I'll try to get them in no uncertain order. But the first one is this, is what does it mean that the American media is broken beyond repair because they're in cahoots with a political party? Now, I want you to think about this. We still don't know what it means that we cannot trust the media because for so many years, we've been able to listen to them and at least suss out a little bit of information, but they are so corrupt now that, that we cannot trust them at all. And this Russiagate conspiracy is probably the biggest example of that. But what does that mean? What does it mean that we can no longer trust these people who used to inform us? I mean, that's at least unmooring and a little bit unsettling. Now, there's another point. Why isn't this aftermath of Russiagate getting so much coverage? As I showed you before, it was getting tons of coverage at the beginning when people thought that Trump was a Russian cat's ball. But now that we know that every single bit of it was a 100% lie, how come? We're not seeing more and more about this on the news media. Well, here's why. Because if we actually were honest about what took place with Russiagate, Russiagate and impeaching Donald Trump as a result of it, then we would have to have institutional-wide accountability, political and legal. The FBI and the CIA both would have to admit what actually took place and how they were used as as stooges of a particular party in the United States. Because the real deal with the Trump election had nothing to do with Russia, but actually had to do with collusion in the media, which by the way, I would say also took place in 2020. Because maybe there wasn't widespread voter fraud as some suggest that there was, but there was certainly fraud. It just didn't happen from Russia. It didn't happen from outside sources. It happened inside of our own country with places like the media. So if we really were honest about what took place here, it would be one heck of a re reckoning for the FBI, the CIA, and the media. But perhaps the biggest reason we're not hearing about it is just that we're okay not knowing. Maybe, maybe Neil Postman was right about us getting enough pleasure. We don't care about the truth anymore. 
I mean, this story is 40 news cycles gone and we need something else to occupy our attention, right? We need some other crisis that's thrust in front of us by the Democrats to keep us disoriented and distracted so that we don't actually focus on what's really going on. What does it mean in the midst of postmodernism and post-truth and post-God in our society that continues to spiral towards secularism that no one believes in objective truth anymore and we don't care even if it did? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'll tell you what it means. It means we no longer believe in science even though the left wants to claim that they do. That's right. That, that, that party that said follow the science believes there could be life on Mars, but a baby in the womb is a clump of cells. Or even worse, it is a baby, but it's still a woman's choice. So, so what does it mean that we no longer believe in truth? It means that we don't believe in science. Not really. And we can use science for whatever we want. So the party of science that no longer believes in science, they, they now believe that men can be women and women can be men. Now, that is one of the most inarguable facts of history um, and not open for interpretation. But they still think even infants can decide their gender. It means this, guys, probably more importantly than some of that insanity. It means that moral morality is now arbitrary. Lying is acceptable if it matches your narrative or if it gets rid of a bad guy like Trump. Now it's good, even if you lie. Now we have all sorts of people falling for lies because they're willing to sacrifice the truth if it wins them street cred in our society with organizations that blackmail people like BLM and the LGBTQ community or any other supposedly marginalized segment of our society. Wherever you can earn street cred with them, you do it and you sell out if it's necessary. And this is perhaps the most devilish thing of all. We're all concerned with how God can actually exist in a world with such physical and emotional pain, but we do not ask what will become of a society where God is removed and unparalleled prosperity is at the fingertips of its people. So, so pleasure takes the place of God. Like, I know even if you don't believe in God, at least you can admit that may be a little bit of a problem. We talk of the problem of pain, but we don't very much often talk about the problem of pleasure. And again, this is what Aldous Huxley talked about. This is what, what Neil Postman was talking about in the quote that I read earlier in the show. It's showing us this. We don't need Hitler to force us into concentration camps to make us slaves. All you need is somebody who is benevolent enough, but a dictator who can lie to you enough and give you enough pleasure that it numbs you to what is going on in the world around you. So here's the point. When we cannot any longer turn to institutions that disseminate information in, the, in society because they're broken down, we must turn to something else, something stronger, something outside of these institutions, something bigger than the truths that they suppose. And yes, I'm, I'm even putting the church underneath that, right? Because sometimes the church is a place that isn't giving you the information that you really desperately need to hear. So in the absence of God leading us into all, all truth, I fear we will constantly be asking questions and never getting to honest answers leaving us bereft of soul-satisfying answers to some of life's biggest questions that, by the way, institutions were never supposed to answer for you anyway. It's my hope that people will turn to alternatives like IndieThinker and other media so that they can get the information that you so desperately need, but more importantly, realize an age-old lesson. Every generation must come to know for itself. You have to look beyond society. You have to look beyond its institutions. Yeah, look to history, look to the classics, look to philosophy, look to learning. But yeah, you, you also got to look for something bigger than that, something higher than all of it to base your life upon. By the way, 
the Bible's a good place to start. But as we continue to see lives become flow like water in our society, it keeps us questioning. And we're questioning right now what actually took place in Evaldi, Texas at the Rob, Ellis, Rob Elementary School shooting. So let's dig into a story that's been all over the news recently as an Evaldi mom has come out and told us some of the things that she experienced that day. So let me jump into right now um, that story and you can hear from her personally. She sped at about 100 miles an hour, she told me, until she finally got here. And this is what she told me after. Right away as I parked, um, U.S. Marshals started coming toward my car saying that um, I wasn't allowed to be parked there. And uh, he said, well, we're going to have to arrest you because you're being very uncooperative. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there. And I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. I'm, if y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there. He right, immediately put me in cuffs. As soon as they uncuffed me, I jumped that first gate fence. And once I jumped it, I went to my son's class. And I knocked on the door and I remember the teacher saying, um, I'm like, hey, they're already, they're already um, bulge cutting the fence to get me. She's like, you think we have time to get out? I said, y'all have time, I'm gonna run for my other son. So I start yelling and I'm being a cooperative and I'm like, well, y'all aren't doing shit. What are y'all doing? Y'all ain't doing Y'all need to be in here, give me your best. Somebody give me a best, I'm something. I started paying attention to how far the shots were being so that I knew the shooter was all the way still by my first son's class. So. When I went to my son, my second son's door, the teacher didn't want to open the door for me. So that's when they started um, escorting me out. And as I, as I see that they're opening my son's door, I go run for my son and I get him. While you were inside the school, did you see officers there inside the school? There was not one school? officer inside the school when I In ran to areas. my second son's class. There was not one officer. And you were hearing gunshots, so you knew you that could hear the it gunshots. was an active shooter. It was still active. The gunshots were still active. They were not in there. There was no one in there. If anything, when I pulled up, my car was closer to the school than, the, where, than where the snipers and everybody that was laying on the ground were. First of all, kudos to that mom. I mean, come on. That's what moms are all about, dude. And, and dads too. So apparently there was a dad that also did something very similar to this. But all of this information is just leaving me at least so disoriented because you're hearing new revelations all the time about what actually took place that day. Um, I've never really seen anything like it but, it, but it's important that we try to piece it together because we can ask a couple of questions or at least come up with a couple of conclusions based upon what we heard that mother say. And she said some pretty startling things. The most startling I'll get at the very end. But the first thing I think we need to say is this, is that your security is your responsibility. Like we've lived in such a prosperous society that we think it's okay to outsource all of our responsibilities to the government or to to local and state institutions, that, that now we think that our, our protection is solely outsourced to the police. Like guys, that's not even their job, not to mention that they can't do that. You have a responsibility to protect yourself. We are so prosperous that we think that our protection is just, is just guaranteed, that we'll just go to the grocery store and we'll, we'll never have to worry about anything, no, no harm befalling us whatsoever. And so now we're trying to have robust conversations about gun control when really we need to be having robust conversations about the opposite, about what it means to actually protect oneself in light of what happened at Robb Elementary. And not to mention the, the most of which was just kind of like a second point that we need to be having conversations about our kids and our responsibility to protect our kids. I mean, that mother was distraught and then was arrested by the police because they saw them not acting. And this mother said, that's my kid. I'm going to go in there and act. It's undeniable. Police can make mistakes because police are human. 
But also we have to recognize this, and I think this is something worth mentioning, that there is nobody better suited to protect your child than you. Nobody is gonna protect your kid like you because you love that kid. You gave birth to that kid. You wiped that kid's butt. You fed that kid. You let that kid badmouth you one too many times probably, but, but hopefully not. Uh, but but you, you, that's your child. It's your responsibility to protect that child. I would hope that um, police officers all over the United States would agree to that. Now, I understand that brings with it some pretty messy situations in a situation like what took place at, in Evaldi at that elementary school because, you know, a bunch of civilians rushing in all at once could, could become an ugly thing. But I'm just going to tell you this. I, as a parent, if I saw a police officer sitting around while there was an active shooter inside of the school, I would do something about that. And by the way, key term there, active shooter, because did you catch what that mom said? According to that mom, when she finally wrestled away from the police and ran into that school, she was hearing active gunfire. She was even asked by the reporter, yet again, if that's true, that she was hearing gunfire at that time. So the idea is this, is that if that mom's story is true, police were sitting around, standing, keeping parents out of the school, setting up a perimeter while there was an active shooter inside the school. Now that flies in the face of everything that we were told. Uh, at the beginning of this thing. We were told that the shooter locked himself inside of a room, barricaded himself, he was no longer an active shooter, so they set up that perimeter uh, because there was no longer an active threat as they, as they perceived it. But according to that mother, that is absolutely untrue. But pushing aside all of those things, I think we just need to come back to this reality, that is that we cannot outsource our responsibility. No matter how prosperous we get, and no matter how spoiled we get, we have to remember that it is our job to do certain things and there is no amount of prosperity that is going to take away basic human rights from you. Don't outsource your responsibility just because prosperity has made you lazy. We'll have to figure this out the hard way if we keep on, if we keep on going down the path that we've been going. And with that being said, let's jump into our final segment today because we need to to look at the time that we're in, be honest about it, and sometimes there's peacetime prophets in the church who are not really being as honest as they should be about what's going on in our world. So we'll look at a story in our final segment, Christianity Not Today. So recently in a Charisma Magazine article, uh, a writer took Andy Stanley to task. Now, I, I wanna talk about this really at, at the danger of, of addressing Andy Stanley by name, uh, because usually I don't like to do that on the show, but the article does it, so I'm kind of in the place where I have to do it as well, and um, I'm sure Andy Stanley's a good guy. He said some really troubling things in the past, to be totally honest with you in my estimation, uh, but, but I consider him uh, a brother. I consider him a, uh, a godly man, a pastor, and all, that, and all that stuff, but again, has said many troubling things, and he's saying them again here, so I think it's only important for us to take notice, but, but here's the problem that I got to state from the very beginning. Beginning. In Christian circles, we think that it's polite not to notice something, right? Um, and it's the MO of Christians just to pretend not to notice. But there are things that we need to talk about or else we're going to keep on seeing the same things happen. You know, you know the, the fake definition for insanity, because this is not actually it, do the same thing and, and expect different results. 
if we keep on the path that we're going as a church, as a Christian community, we're going to continue to see our secular society spin towards a godless existence and a post-Christian existence. Now, I think this is a great opportunity for us, so I don't mean to be cynical um, because I'm usually such a rosy, optimistic individual, but, but what I am saying is, is that part of the reason we're seeing some of the things that we're seeing right now has nothing to do with secular society and has to do with, with the church. And if, if we have peacetime prophets in a time of war, then we're going to continually be told things that aren't so. And that's what this Charisma Magazine article really kind of tries to highlight here. So I want to read a little bit of it uh, for you right now. CNN recently released an article quoting Pastor Andy Stanley who said, Saving America is not the mission of the church. The article continues and it says this, I don't know Pastor Stanley, nor do I know his heart, but he highlights a real dilemma in our, in our nation. Prophetic voices who lack humility. In short, many bold preachers don't weep before they whip. But balancing love with anger over the condition of our nation, families, and churches is a hard balance to find. I concur and say amen, brother. The article continues, quote, People who say things such as, quote, Saving America is not the mission of the church, end quote, often use these phrases to justify their silence on important issues. I will also concur and say amen to that, brother. Okay, the article goes on. Biblically speaking, it's impossible to be non-confrontational to a culture hell-bent on rejecting God. We can't be unhitched from God's word. So, here's the real question. Is saving America part of God's mission? This guy says no, but I'm going to say something else. It could be God is obviously more concerned with people than he is with political affiliation, sure. But if he can use America, and if America has been used by God, then it's possible that America is worth saving just in the same way that God was interested in the land of Israel and the people of Israel in the Old Testament, right? So we have Bible for this. So it's at least concerning when a mega pastor like Stanley tries to dismiss caring about what's going on in America as pure patriotism and unthinking evangelicalism. Um, and, and Andy Stanley has made these claims. So not only did he say, don't save America, he also says that Christians shouldn't be concerned with winning, like don't win. Um, so he did this in a, in a sermon series just, just recently. And so are these merely these kind of sloganish ways of kind of presenting these ideas, are they merely a way for unthinking pastors to polish their cowardice or their inability to talk about abortion, inability to talk about abortion in black communities, inability to talk about LGBTQ issues? Is this really just a way to polish their cowardice into something that seems like thoughtfulness? So side note here, I remember the religious right. Remember, they're the ones that are the legalists and they always tell people what not to do. But I guess you live long enough and you can see everything change, huh? Because here we have Andy Stanley telling people, you should not be doing this while he wags his finger at his congregation and I guess the rest of the world because he is a megachurch pastor after all, which is why I think it's worth us talking about this with no disrespect to Andy. So that aside, the, the care and the cure for interminable boredom and to our gross prosperity as a nation is curiosity or wonder. So to get that again, that we need to wonder once again, and we need to have curiosity because that is the cure for the boredom that comes as a result of our prosperity. And, and by the way, pastors should be the ones who are issuing forth this kind of awe. 
especially when it comes to God and his creation. They should be the ones who are encouraging us towards conversations rather than shutting them down. Pastors should be engaging every question as much as they can with the kind of thoughtfulness that the Bible gives some of these things. And, and the kind of thoughtfulness that the Bible demands, but far too often we have pastors telling us to be quiet and not to pay attention to these things and mocking subjects that demand our curiosity and where our voice could definitely be a benefit. For instance, if God really doesn't care about a nation that has been, you know, a place where uh, more Christian missionaries has been sent out of than, than anywhere else in the history of our world, specifically, America. More dollars and more missionaries have come out of America than any other place in history. If God only cares about the human heart, why did he promise a promised land to his people? We may not be it now here in America, but America has been a bright shining light, a city on a hill that welcomed the stranger that was built upon Christian principles. So let me ask you, does God really care about that? I think he does. And, in fact, I think our silence on the issue is the reason we may not be as much of that city on a hill as we used to be. I'm rather concerned about a pastor that would suggest that God is so small that he wouldn't use a nation like America for his glory and that we should save America and that we should care about it. I, I think America can be a tool that God can use to exact just the kind of moral reforms we need to see. But I'm even more concerned that the pastors that say these kind of things can't see the correlation between, Ameri uh, between America's secularization and the rise of suicide and transgenderism and abortion and the like because, in other words, we're not talking about these things and America is becoming more secular because we don't talk about them. These things are going to proliferate and continue to multiply. So at a time where boredom is higher than ever, we need good people to stand up and declare the majesty and the beauty of God who who does work in and through his people and the things that they create, like, like government institutions. So be careful, person who has a conscience. Be careful, Christian, when you hear those who are oddly trying to keep you from doing things that perhaps you should be doing. Be careful when you can make great good happen and the people who are supposed to be cheerleading you on your way instead are trying to stop you. I believe that that is an indication of the prosperity of our age and that we've grown accustomed to, to the way the world is rather than desiring a world that is better. And yes, America can be an influential tool in ensuring that that happens, but it's only going to happen if you pay attention. So when anybody tells you not to, stay away from that. And that's why I say to the message of Andy Stanley, not so much Andy Stanley himself, but the message for sure, not today. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.